I'm Pastor Mike Winger, and this is Bible Thinker, the program dedicated to thinking biblically about everything. I was recently interviewed on the topic of the Passion Translation on uh, Melissa Doherty's channel, and this video that you're about to see is that interview, but it's like a one-stop shop for information about the Passion Translation, about the translation itself, its procedures, what's wrong with it, um, how it was translated, Brian Simmons, a lot of information about the translator itself. This is the video, I think, to summarize, because I've done a lot of legwork on the Passion Translation, but that's spread out over several videos. So here's your one-stop shop. I hope that this interview blesses a lot of people. I hope it helps you. I'm not paranoid about translations, but I have deep and very serious and well-founded concerns about the Passion Translation, and so should you. Hi, everybody. I'm back with a really interesting video for you guys today. This has been something that both me and Doreen have been really passionate about, pun intended, uh, the last <laughs> few months. <laughs> over things that have been going on at Bethel with the hyper-charismatic movement and with everything that's been happening, so many people have been asking about the Passion Translation. This is something that I've been personally looking into the last few months, and I'm really excited to have Mike on today to talk about this because he's done a lot of research on this. I find his content very uh, useful. He has made a few videos about this on his channel, if you want to go check those out, I will include a link to those videos in the description of this video. Um, well, to start off on this, you cannot talk about the Passion Translation without talking about Brian Simmons. Brian Simmons is the, the one who basically came up with the Passion Translation. There's a whole story with how this got started. And Mike, at that point, I'm going to hand it over to you and see what you can tell us about Brian Simmons. Yeah. Thanks well, again um, for being on today. <laughs> oh, thanks for having me. It's a, it's great to be back on your guys uh, on your channel. I appreciate the opportunity to hopefully help people with this video. Um, let me just start by saying, like, I'm not just, I'm not like paranoid about translations. I think we have lots of good Bible translations, and there's a variety of ways of you know elements in translating that are reflected in different ones, and they're all good. I, I'm happy with lots of translations, but not this one. <laughs> there's yeah. some really important reasons why. The first thing is. Um, this translation, unlike most others, it's done by just one guy. Most translations nowadays are done by committees. There's, there's whole groups of different scholars in different fields kind of comparing notes and, you know, sort of double checking one another as they make a translation. Um, this was just done by one guy, Brian Simmons. So the translation's only going to be as good as that guy made it, right? Mm -hmm. um, and he's, he's ultimately, he's the oversight. He's the beginning and end of the Passion Translation. But it's not like other translations even in that one-man translations like done by, say, Martin Luther or Wycliffe or something, these are like translations done by guys who are trained and skilled who translate based upon their education and their background. Mm -hmm. uh, Brian Simmons claims to translate with the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Now, that's a different story altogether, isn't it? Yeah. Um, so it, it, it claims that this is an inspired translation. Now, he will find out in a minute he doesn't have the credentials to translate well, but but the really weird stuff is when you find out the background of this translation. He says that he was he uh, met an angel named Passion, which is why he called it the Passion Translation. So he encountered an angel, he claims, which I believe in angels. I believe you can encounter them. I just don't think Brian did in this case. He also claims that um, God showed him secrets of the Hebrew and Greek language. So as he was translating, he got new information that was never before known about the Bible and what it means. That I find very suspicious, mm -hmm. that an, uh, an unskilled man with some sort of spiritual, it sounds like Joseph Smith when he was like, I have yes. special knowledge about ancient languages from the spirit. You know, it sounds like a really weird thing. He's the, the leader of Mormonism, original founder of it. So bottom line, the Passion Translation hinges upon Brian Simmons. Mm -hmm. Is this guy really inspired by the Holy Spirit or is something else going on? Um, did, did God give him inspiration to know things that that's people who actually study these languages don't actually know? Mm -hmm. um, did, did God do that for him or did he come up with a strange translation with other, perhaps other motives and to other results other than the leading of the Holy Spirit? So yeah, that's, that's the beginning of it. It's like, wait a minute, this is like not like other translations mm -hmm. at all, but it's growing in use, growing in popularity, particularly amongst certain churches who tend to not think very highly of scholarship or yeah. academic research. Yeah. Yeah. Which is kind of why we're going to talk about it today because of the growing popularity. I've seen it endorsed by well-known pastors. I've seen it used at a few pulpits at many churches, a few here in my hometown. 
And I don't think a lot of people understand where it came from. I think they assume that it's a legitimate translation. I think they assume that it's that a, that a committee put this together. I, I don't think that people in the evangelical church are used to having basically self-made translations or they're not used to it. Because when I think of a self-made translation, I think of the New World Translation, like you mentioned, which is the Jehovah's Witness translation. It's made by Jehovah's Witnesses for Jehovah's Witness theology. Mm-hmm. And then you have the Joseph Smith translation. Any of these independently made translations, it's a huge red flag. So yeah. that is the Passion Translation. It was made by one man, Brian Simmons. And Mike, you mentioned earlier about the, the way, the means that he got the inspiration to make this translation. Um, can you give us more information on how that came to be? Yeah. It, you know, when I was researching this content, trying to find out about this stuff, it felt like going into the rabbit hole as yeah. I kept getting weirder and weirder stuff, you know, but there's, there's video online of him doing this, talking about his vision, his multiple visions that he's had supposedly. And again, I, I think God can show you a vision if he wants, but I also think people can say God showed them a vision as a way of legitimizing whatever they say next. Yeah. And I think that's what's happened here. Um, well, at any rate, he, he says that he was sort of caught up in the heaven and went to the great library of God. And there's this library of all these books and stuff like that. One of the things he claims is that, um, that God gave him the 23rd chapter to the gospel of John, John yeah. 23, and that this is some future revelation he's one day going to bring. Now, now John doesn't have that many chapters, right? This is an extra chapter that doesn't exist in John. Mm-hmm. And the, the, the picture here is Brian Simmons has some sort of new revelation that he's going to bring that is somehow parallel with scripture. I mean, how else could it be called John 23 that he in the future will bring? Now he's not bringing it yet. He's just talking about how he has it. He's not allowed to talk, not allowed to tell us what it is yet. It's mm-hmm. kind of weird. Uh, but basically he thinks he's been commissioned by God to bring a new translation that will make the word of God come to life like never before. And it is like never before. I agree with that part of it. Yeah. <laughs> like never before. And, um, and yeah, so he thinks this is, this is totally the Lord leading him. He's had multiple stories about these visions. He's had visions when, when he was in uh, with the Payakuna people. We'll talk about it in a little bit mm-hmm. visions when he was at home. Yeah. It's, it's very, um, it's very much about sort of these supernatural like experiences that he, that sort of justify or give or validate his, his translation. But I'm going to suggest that what we can do is we can actually test Brian Simmons claims about other things and maybe not divisions. I can test his claims about his education and his experience Mm -hmm. and his past. And when I show that he's not telling the truth about those things, we have good reason to think that he's probably not telling the truth about these visions too. And I think that's a smart way to go about it. Yeah, that is a good way to go about it. Uh, you mentioned his credentials. So Brian Simmons is not a scholar. Uh, he, he, he lacks the proper credentials that one would have to have in order to even be on a committee to translate Mm -hmm. a a Bible translation. Um, which is why we don't recommend Bibles translated by one person because they're usually incredibly biased. They're, they're made with an agenda in mind. And in this case, it's using, you know, the, the culture and the language of the hypercharismatic community at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, the pra- Passion Translation uses hot terms that are found in that culture and that, you know, especially in what the hypercharismatic culture, uh, the words are like glory, um, even words like manifest or impartation, all these, these words, this vocabulary, they have their own terms, their own vocabulary. Mm-hmm. are used so much more in this Bible than you would ever find in, you know, what was originally written. So we, before we got on, we mentioned something about an interlinear. So an interlinear Bible takes the original language, Greek, Hebrew, and basically gives the English translation to it. So if you want to go and find a direct translation to the Bible, you get an interlinear. The, the challenge is, is that if you were to take an interlinear, right, you, you wouldn't find anything that Brian sent most things that Brian Simmons wrote in his translation to be equi- equivalent to what was written in scripture. Oh, yeah. So that's the cool thing about interlinear. Even if you don't know Greek, you know that here's a Greek word and then here's the English word they translated it into, right? Yes. But if yeah. Brian Simmons, ever, he'll never make an interlinear for the passion. Never. I promise you'll <laughs> never happen because yeah. it would become immediately obvious. Even if you don't know Greek or Hebrew, you'd be like, 
whoa, you added so much stuff. And he claims that when they add stuff, they put italics in the text so that you'll know they added something for clarity, mm-hmm. but they rarely use italics. They, they add stuff and don't, yeah, it's all the time he breaks that rule. Um, let me give you some examples. Okay, t- t- sure. today is, is, as we're recording this, it's the 18th. Mm-hmm. And I thought, I want to give an unbiased example. So I just went to the first book in his, because he doesn't have the whole Bible translated, but the first book he has translated is the book of Psalms. So I went to Psalm 18, because today's the 18th. And I did a word count. In the NIV translation, there are 859 words in Psalm 18, right? In the Passion Translation, there's not 859. There are, can you guess? 1,286 <gasps> words in Psalm 18 in the Passion Translation. That is 427 new words, new words. It's almost 50% bigger in the Passion Translation. Let me give you one example. This is Psalm 18, verse 1. Now, I'm not, I'm not trying, even trying to pick the worst examples I can find. I just went oh, to Psalm yeah. 18 because today's the 18th. Yeah. So uh, Psalm 18, verse 1, in any normal translation, it'll say something like this, right? Here's the NIV. I love you, Lord, my strength. That's six words in English, right? There's actually only three words in Hebrew, only three words in Hebrew, but we translate it with six words in English. So some liberty is being taken here to get the meaning across. I love you, Lord, my strength. Hmm. Here's those same six words in uh, Psalm 18, 1 in the Passion Translation. He says, Lord, I passionately love you and I'm bonded to you for now you've become my power. Three Hebrew words becomes 16 English words because he's trying to make it more passionate. You can't just love God. You have to passionately love him and be bonded to him. Why? Because he's, he's like, well, this word could have this element to it and it could have that meaning to it. And so he like double and triple translates words, which you don't do. Yeah. Uh, that, like that's not a good policy to have when you do that. Um, I can give you more examples of, of just adding to the text. Yeah. Adding to the text. Song, uh, Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verse 13, uh, the ESV. Let me just read to you the ESV. This is, it's, it's just speaking about plants and stuff like that and about how there's relation to that and the love between these two people, right? It says, the fig tree ripens its figs and the vines are in the blossom. They give forth fragrance. Arise, my love, my beautiful one, and come away. Mm-hmm. So there's a fig tree, it ripens, the vines are in blossom, they give forth fragrance. In other words, the time has come, right? Like the mm-hmm. figs, it's ripening time. And he's like, arise, my love, it's time for us to enjoy our love together. So he says, come away. Now here's that, here's that same verse in the Passion Translation. Uh, Can you not discern this new day of destiny breaking forth around you? What? Yeah. <laughs> no figs, right? Well, let's keep reading. The yeah. early signs of my purposes and plans are bursting forth. The budding vines of new life are now blooming everywhere. The fragrance of their flowers whispers. There is change in the air. Arise, my love, my beautiful companion, and run with me to the higher place, for now is the time to arise and come away with me. What was 25 words and clear in, say, the ESV, as I read to you earlier, is 72 words in the Passion Translation, and you don't even have the word fig. Where's the word fig? Like, God inspired the, the writer to put the word fig in there, but you don't even have the word, anything like the word. Uh, instead, you have a bunch of added stuff and you have some stuff missing. This is called changing God's holy word because he just likes how it sounds. And I, I think that's a big problem. Let me give you one more example of adding. The shortest English verse in your Bible. You probably already know it, right, Melissa? Yeah, yeah. What does it say? Jesus wept. Jesus or, wept, right? Yeah, yeah. And just about every translation is going to say Jesus wept. In, in, the, mm-hmm. in the English, this is the shortest verse in your Bible. In the Greek, it's actually rejoice always, different verse. Mm-hmm. But that's Greek versus English, right? Um, but Jesus wept in almost every translation, Jesus wept. In the Passion Translation, then tears streamed down Jesus's face. Because you can't just say Jesus wept like yeah. the Greek does, because it's not passionate enough, you know, for him. It's not a passion enough that Jesus wept. So t- then tears stream down Jesus's face. Now you might be like, well, Mike, but I mean, I like that sound better. Mike. You kind of read my mind. I was going to play devil's advocate for a second yeah. and say, but Mike, what's wrong with that? What, what is, yeah. what's the difference between that and like the message or, you know, there are definitely issues with it, but if somebody were to say, what's the big deal? Yeah. What would you say? Well, I'd say there's, there's two responses to that. One response is this is, um, why, why am I allowed to change God's word? Even if it's just to make it quote better in my opinion, what does that mean? Like how many places of the Bible will I change? Because I think I can make that better. Ooh, I could, I, I wouldn't write it like that. 
but you're not God. Like you have no authority to change the Holy word of God to make it quote better or more appealing to you in some fashion or another. God wrote it that way for his purposes and his reasons. A translator's job is to preserve meaning across languages, not to make things more appealing in any fashion or, you know, at all. That's, that's an abuse. I, I remember using a translator when I was in um, uh, Costa Rica and I'm using a translator and I said something and it was, I said it was short and the translator just went on and on and on and on. And I was like, <laughs> I know my mind. I can expand on my own words, but that guy doesn't know my mind. What on earth is he saying on my behalf to those people? And no matter how he's changing it, I'm like, no, I, I, I meant what I said. Please don't add. And God says in, in Proverbs, says, uh, every word of the Lord is pure. Do not add to his words, lest he rebuke you and you be found a liar. Don't add to his words. Don't add anything extra there. It's, it's just not right. So yeah, it, it, it may be seeming to make it better, but I think that make it more likable, make it more enjoyable, make it more passionate is, is exactly, to put it bluntly, exactly how Satan clothes himself as an angel of light, right? It's, yeah. Satan's like, I'm not going to bring, I'm not just going to bring new theology. I'm going to bring nice theology, right? It's not just yeah. new, it's really nice. Like guys, the bad theology that Satan wants us to believe is going to be so wonderful and heartwarming. It's not going to be like, Meh. you know, he disguises himself as an angel of light. Yeah. So yeah, we don't. Uh, but another issue is this, is that the, um, the Passion Translation has an agenda, like you mentioned before. Yeah. Um, it's what's called a sectarian translation. And scholars do call it this. They call it a sectarian translation. And I can give you some examples um, yeah. of this, where we see it happen over and over, where the changes aren't just make it more passionate, which is already wrong to do if you care about what God actually said, you know, then this is wrong to do. But it's in addition to that, it's pushing specific agendas. Like for instance, um, you, you guys may have heard of the seven mountain mandate. Oh yeah. yeah. Okay. This is not a biblical idea. This is a, it comes from some extra biblical prophecy thing mm -hmm. that there's these mountains of influence around the world. Yes. And these represent spheres of power. And, you know, Christians are to go over and take over these spheres of power of like government and the arts and science and the, 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 whatever these seven mountains are. Well, um, what, what Brian Simmons did was when he translated the Psalms, he added the phrase mountains of influence multiple times into texts where there's no Hebrew justification for adding it. So let me give you some examples, right? Here's the Passion Translation, Psalm 72, verse 3. Listen for that phrase. Mm -hmm. Then the mountains of influence will be fruitful, and from your righteousness, prosperity and peace will flow to all the people. Now, this sounds like a prophecy that, that fits this sort of um, apostolic pro prophetic movement that's going on where they're like, we have these mountains of influence. But when you read it in a normal translation, like the ESV, it doesn't mean that at all. Mm -hmm. Here's the ESV. Let the mountains bear prosperity for the people and the hills in righteousness. It's literally talking about like growing food yeah. <laughs> and, and, and hunting animals on the mountains. Yeah. That's the prosperity in context is talking about. He wants to, to allegorize it, to change the meaning of scripture to support these mountains of influence. So there's three times where he adds the phrase mountains of influence in the book of Psalms and Proverbs. It's also verse chapter 80, verse 10 of Psalms and Proverbs 8, 1. But this happens over and over again. When I started getting suspicious about the Passion Translation, really suspicious, um, before I knew all about his supposed visions and his training, his not training that he's received, which we'll talk about in a little bit, mm -hmm. but it was when I started looking up specific terms. Okay, I, I know being, I'm, I'm, I'm a guy who believes in the gifts of the spirit. And so I, I, but I'm kind of, I guess you might think I'm like on the, in the, in the middle space between the cessationist and the hyper charismatics. Yeah. I'm kind of like somewhere in the middle right there, I think, yeah. um, in all reality, but, but I'm exposed to these things. And so i I hear the language they use. There's special terms that come up in these circles, like realm or anointed or impart or prophetic or activate or passion. Well, all of these words, when I searched them in the Passion Translation, I found out that these words appeared way more times in Brian Simmons' new translation than they ever appeared in any translation before that. Well, what does that mean? I mean, it means that the guy's making stuff up and he's reading his theology or his beliefs. He's putting it in the text of scripture where it's not there. This is the adulteration of scripture. Mm -hmm. I'll, I'll give you some examples. Okay, the word realm. The word realm, the realms of power, realms of authority, realms of whatever. It, it's very common in these circles. Other Christians never mention the word, right? So um, in the ESV and the New King James Version, the word realm appears zero times. 
In the NASB, it appears once. In the wow. NIV, it appears 10 times. That's the highest count I found. In the NIV, it appears 10 times. In the Passion Translation, do you want to guess how many times it appears in the Passion 200. Translation? 196. You're really close. <laughs> wow. <laughs> uh, and, and, and get this, the Passion Translation is not even the whole Bible yet. He just has the New Testament, Psalms, Proverbs, Isaiah. This, in fact, I, in these numbers, I didn't even, he, Isaiah wasn't written yet when I found these numbers. So that's a good point. So the New Testament, Brian Simmons is only translated. For those that don't know, this was something I found frustrating because mm. I like to get a hold of these Bibles and actually read them. Um, he has only translated the New Testament and Psalms, and, I, and he's working on Isaiah, right? The Psalms? Mm -hmm. No, he just finished uh, Isaiah. I, I don't know what he's working on now. Maybe Genesis? Yeah, I think you're right. I think he is working on Genesis. So he's he's working his way through the Old Testament to translate mm -hmm. it, but the entire Bible is not translated yet. It's yeah, each, each book comes out one at a time, and then you can yeah. buy it individually. It's like a really good money-making plan, actually. Good marketing. Yeah, I'm going to wait. Yeah. <laughs> I have and a it new, is available, though. I have a new book of Genesis, and it has never-before-known secrets of Hebrew in it, guys. It'll, it'll, it'll ignite the flame of your fire for God, and it will change your life as a Christian. It's only $15. You know, right? three, five months later, I got a new book of Exodus. It will ignite your flame for God and it will yeah. change your life and all this stuff. And it's only $15. And so he keeps selling him piecemeal. Uh, eventually they'll have the whole thing compiled. But yeah, so the word realm, yeah, it appears 196 times as opposed so to- So far, so yeah. far it appears 196 so far. times. If so we the word project that, that'd probably be about maybe easily double with the Old Testament if we were going to go that far. I mean, if you're going to take the entire Bible and say the NIV only mentions it 10 times, you said? Oh, well, I only searched. So I, what I did was I only searched, um, uh, I tried to only search corresponding books. So I just searched basically the Got New it. Testament um, or Psalms, you know, just the corresponding passages. So there'll be a fair comparison. Yeah. That makes sense. He may, he may have it more times though in the future. We'll see. Yeah. yeah. So like the word anointed is another one. Um, okay. And anointed is a, is a hugely important term for Brian Simmons and for some people in his circle. Mm -hmm. um, we, well, the ESV has it 15 times, New King James 12 times, NIV 10 times, NASB 10 times. Notice the consistency. They all translate it relatively the same number of times because they're all being responsible translators. Yes. Right? So they don't come up with wildly different things. Well, the Passion Translation has the word anointed 223 times. You don't need to know Hebrew and Greek to know that that's weird. Yeah. Right? Let me give you an example of something he said about why he does this because he wants to say that jesus was the anointed one he doesn't like translating it messiah sometimes he does sometimes he calls him anointed one because he wants to then say that you are an anointed one and i read that and i thought my little theological radar went off yeah wait a minute it sounds like you're muddying the line between me and jesus yeah so i went online and i found a teaching from brian simmons that muddies the line between me and jesus and i realized he's putting his theology into the scripture okay this is a quote from brian he says you are wrapped into jesus christ all that he is, you now are. Everything that's true about Jesus can be spoken about you because you are in him. Wait a minute. Jesus is eternal. Jesus is God. Is, am I that? All that he is, I now am? Either you have to say Jesus isn't God anymore because I'm not, or you're going to affirm that I am God because he is. Like you can't, this is, this is like dangerous theology stuff. Yeah. And it's being, it's being uh, embedded into the text of scripture so that he could try to justify this weird theology. Okay, now it becomes more than just I'm making it better, right? It's, it's even worse than that. Yeah. There's other terms. The word prophetic is used, like say in the ESV, it's used four times. That's the most that I found, the word prophetic in these translations I consulted. But in the Passion, it's used 28 times. 28 times, you know, the word impart. The ESV used that more than other translations. It used it six whole times in the Passion. It's 35 times in part. Because these ministries, uh, they tend, the, the preachers in these ministries tend to always be like, I want to impart to you. I want to impart to you. I just want to yeah. impart to you. They use that word all the time. It's just like something they learn from each other. Well, he's going to stick it in the text of scripture so that when they preach, they can sound like they're being more biblical when they say yeah. stuff like that. Um, the word activate. It's mm -hmm. used, it's not used anywhere in any translation, as far as I found. I mean, the ones, I'm sure somebody's used it, but not in the ones I consulted, not in the major translations. Mm -hmm. Well, the Passion has it six times. But what's interesting is where he has it, right? He puts it in Romans 12, 6, where it says that it's telling us if you have prophesy, prophecy, then prophecy according to your faith. Well, he adds a bunch of stuff to this in Romans 12, 6, and he, he says that you have to activate your gift. What does that mean? I mean, it's not in the Greek. It's not, it's not, in, the, it's not in scripture, but you're putting it in there. Well, that's because 
Brian Simmons believes that you can take courses where he will train you on how to activate your gifts. And he says, quote, every member of the body of Christ must be activated. And he actually sells courses. You can buy them and go through a course where you learn to be activated in your gift. Well, now he has a scripture that tells you you need to be activated. What does it, it sound like It just solidifies it. What is, I mean, this is what, see, the thing that I'm concerned about is the more sober-minded um, people who care about the real carefulness of understanding scripture and understanding theology, they're not aware of the passion because people in their churches aren't using it. Yeah. Instead, it's, it's in churches where people, they love the gifts of the spirit, they love the work of God, but they tend to be thin on theology and thin on research. That's just the reality of it. And so this this passion is going to, passion translation is going to take advantage of exactly that weakness mm-hmm. by taking advantage of their trust in their leadership who presents them with a Bible where they're like, Hey man, this is such a great translation. You guys should check it out. Do you think that they just don't know that they're ignorant or. Like, I, I, I don't think I can paint with such a wide brush. I, yeah. I, I think it's a, there's a mixed bag of people, you know, some people don't know. Some people are ignorant. Some people they'll recognize when they look at a, a verse that they know and they're like, wait a minute, where did all that come from? Yeah. You know, they're going to notice these things and then they have to decide how much they trust whoever endorsed it to them. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, it's, it's a problem. It's a problem, but let me talk a little bit if we can, if, if you're okay with switching gears and talk Absolutely. about Brian's training and credentials. Yes. Yeah. I did like some investigative reportive type of job here. <laughs> Nobody's writing on this stuff right online. I couldn't find anybody who is really soberly confronting the passion. At least there's a couple people, right. Um, but, but not enough. And I didn't find the content I wanted. So I wanted to know, what is Brian's training? Well, on, on his website, on the Passion Translation website, in mm-hmm. interviews, on the Broad Street Publishing website, that's the one who's publishing the book, um, it says that he was a co-translator for the Kuna translation of the New Testament. And he also claims there in multiple places that he has linguistic and a biblical languages background. Mm-hmm. So he's got a, so in other words, you know, the vibe you give. Now, it doesn't say he has a degree in such and such. It doesn't, it doesn't say he doesn't. It just... But implies, okay, he's done translating before and he has a background in biblical languages and linguistics. Okay, that's cool. Brian also has claimed in an interview, and I have a video on one of my, uh, on my channel, there's a video where I play him saying this. He says, I had some linguistic training in our years of new tribes training. And I was like, new tribes, what's that? What's new tribes? So I look up online and new tribes is a mission that is devoted to reaching unreached peoples and getting the Bible translated into their own languages. Yeah. It's an outreach. It's a wonderful ministry. And they've changed names. They used to be called New Tribes back in the 80s. They've changed their name now um, to Ethnos 360, but it's the same organization. So I called Ethnos 360 and I got a hold of two of the guys that work there. One is Don, Don Pedersen. Uh, Don Pedersen, or I forget if it's Peterson now. I'm trying to remember how he pronounced his name. Um, here's what Don said about Brian Simmons. Now, Don's actually speaking from Ethnos 360. He's speaking from the people Brian says trained him. And he says, Brian is not a linguist of any sort. Huh? Wait, I'm like, wait a minute. You mean he doesn't even have credentials? Because you can have credentials and produce a bad translation. But if you don't even have credentials and you're claiming to, now I think you're deceitful. Let me give you more details on this because there's a lot more. He said he had experience, right? Not just credentials of training, but experience that he has actually translated. Um, He said, and I'll quote, he says, we had, this is Brian's claims about himself. We had to decipher the language, develop an alphabet. We had to discern and decipher the grammar structure. That took us the first two years while we were there. I mean, obviously when he says we, he must mean himself, right? And I've got, I've got the interview where he said this on my uh, YouTube channel. Um, So the implication is that Brian was integral and formative in, in this translation happening. Okay, well, Jerry McDaniels, who worked with the Kuna people, the same people Brian says he translated the Bible for, he worked with them for over 30 years, Jerry McDaniels, and he works for Ethnos 360, right? At that time, New Tribes Mission. He -hmm. says, nobody in our mission would ever say that he is a Bible translator or ever was approved as a Bible translator. Brian's, he's lying. This blew my mind. He's literally lying about his history, which is why I don't trust his visions. He did, says, Did anybody Brian, call him out on this? Did anybody say? Just me. <laughs> <laughs> just me. I don't, and I haven't had a response. I, dude, I love, I'll bring him on my YouTube channel. Let's have a chat. 
I'd like to have a chat. I'd like to share with him these quotes and get him to clarify his positions. If he wants to step back and say, hey, I really overstated, it's my case. I'd like to have him hear him say that. I'll try and be gracious to him as much as I might be irritated with the guy <laughs> for what he's doing. <laughs> yeah. Um, so he says this, Brian says, I have qualifications. Quote, this isn't an ad that they run they, on Facebook to, to, uh, to sell the passion translation. He says, I, I, is it an ad or is it just on their publisher website? I'm trying to remember now. Either way, it's an ad for the thing. Um, I have qualifications in that I have translated the New Testament as a co-translator for the Payakuna language. This is, well, I mean, is Jerry McDaniels dying, lying or is Brian Simmons lying? What's going on? Well, Brian Simmons claims that he presented, uh, you can test his timeline. He says that he was with the Payakuna in the late 80s and that he presented them with a completed New Testament in the late 80s. Okay, that's, that's a claim. That's like a factual claim, a stamp of history. Sometime in the late 80s, He's like, I, we presented them with a completed New Testament. Mm -hmm. Why does this matter? Because Brian Simmons was not there after that, right? He, he left, he acknowledges that he left the, the Payakuna people and came back to the States. So by the 90s, he's back in the States. If he's going to get credit for the translation, then the translation has to have already happened by the late 80s. Yeah. Well, the Moody Bible Institute, they have stats on translations for various um, countries and various languages. So their stats or their information on the Payakuna Bible or the Kuna Bible, it never mentions Brian Simmons, never mentions his name as being involved in translating, and it gives a different date for when the translation was done. Listen to this. Here's a quote from the Moody Bible Institute's page. They say the Kuna Bible translation uh, project began in 1982 when Wycliffe translators Keith and Wilma Forster began working with Kuna pastor Lino Smith Argongo on a new, a new Testament translation. It was published in 1995. Brian says he handed them, like in another interview with Sid Roth, he goes, it was such a pleasure to hand them a completed New Testament. And then he left before, before 95 ever came around, before 92 ever came around. He was out of there for sure. Because he claimed he was out of there before some missionaries were killed locally. That happened in 92. Maybe I'm giving you too much information, but basically no, he was good. out of there. It's he says research. he was out of there in the 80s, giving them a New Testament. The Moody Bible Institute doesn't mention his name at all. His own coworkers say he wasn't involved in the actual translate, translation, the, the hard work of making it from, uh, from either original or English over to Payakuna. And, um, and then Moody Bible Institute says it was done in 95, not in the 80s. Right? So he's now, exaggerating his credentials, would you say? exaggerating would be the nicest way to put the it. The nicest way to put it would be that um, he's exaggerating. Yeah. But he's in all reality, he, he's just saying things happen that didn't happen at all. He's um, fabricating his credentials. Yeah. Don Pedersen, he says the Payakuna translation was not done while he was uh, in service with new tribes mission. That's what Don Pedersen says. Don Pedersen, he wanted people to know, and I'll quote, Mm -hmm. This is Don. And you can, you can check out Ethnos 360 if you want to reach out to Don. I asked them to, if they would make like an official statement from their organization. He said he wanted to, but they haven't yet. I don't know. You know how it is, internal organizational debates. Yeah. They don't know if they want to do that or not. But he did say this. He says, Brian was not what he claimed and that the New, uh, New Tribes mission, Ethnos 360, that they did not agree with his doctrinal positions, nor did we follow his approach to translation. Wow which means that whatever training he did get from them, they're saying he's not using it because we're not agreeing <laughs> with the way he's doing things. Brian Simmons, he said this, I think what qualifies a person to be involved in this monumental project, the Passion Translation, is not just an exceptional understanding of Greek and Hebrew, but to have a heart for God. Now, when he says that, and he's the single translator or the primary translator, what is the implication? Is that he has a, right, exceptional understanding of Greek and Hebrew and a heart for God. Yeah. Because he says it's not just an exceptional understanding of Greek and Hebrew, but also a heart for God. Here's what Don Pedersen said, and I'll, this is the last uh, quote I'll share with you from him. He says, my wife and I knew Brian and his wife, Candy, when we were in uh, missionary training together in 1977. As you surmised, Brian is not a linguist of any sort. Even back then, he was prone to go off on fringe doctrinal detours. It was because of this that he left New Tribes Mission back in the 80s, possibly dismissed, I'm not certain. Frankly, I was not very surprised to learn that he's with NAR. Just so you know, New Tribes Mission, now Ethnos 360, does not endorse his doctrine nor his translation procedures or philosophy. Interesting. And Brian Simmons' actual education, uh, he has a, he's a doctor. He's got a doctorate. 
but his doctorate is from the Wagner Leadership Institute, which is which is officially an NAR institute. I don't like to throw the term NAR out like it's about everybody, but it but the Wagner Leadership Institute is literally an NAR institute that they, they claim they are. Um, but uh, but his doctorate is in practi- a practical ministry with a focus on prayer. That that doctorate doesn't give you any training yeah. to do the thing that he's claiming he has the ability to do now. Yeah, that's an extensive thing to claim too, because if you're going to I mean, I'm in seminary right now and I'm taking an, a writing class, an English writing class, and it is intense. Mm-hmm. And to know the English grammar and how it's put together, you, you have to take this writing class in order to take your Greek grammar class. Yeah. To know how it's structured and how it's put together. That's extensive. Yeah, the first thing you do when you're learning Greek is you realize you don't know English very well. <laughs> uh, exactly. <laughs> yeah. I don't know anything about English until I learn, oh, there's, you know, another language to learn and you have to know how to put it together. And you know, not, not that I'm going to be translating, you know, a Bible anytime soon, but yeah, to understand the Greek language, you have to understand and have extensive understanding about English. Mm-hmm. And it seems like there wasn't even any information given for him to have extensive study in that. No. And, and here's the thought. It's my thoughts real simple. Okay. He claims to have this inspiration from the Holy Spirit, these visions from God, and that's yeah. enabling him to come up with new information never before known about the Bible, um, adding and, and his actual translation adds massive amounts of text that was that is doesn't seem to be justified although to someone who doesn't know hebrew and greek he might be able to kind of word game you well you know this in the aramaic this means blah 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 but yet his training doesn't justify any of that and what's worse what's worse is that he seems to be honestly lying like true honestly lying or i should say truly <laughs> lying no what's the word i'm looking for here he seems to actually on the face of it he's not telling the truth about about his training about what he did with the Payakuna people, his own people who worked with him and who are in the organization he claims trained him, they say, no, no, no. At most, they said he was a checker, meaning that he would take the translation they did and he would read to the people and then report back how it sounded. Like, how did they like the the Payakuna? Did they get it? Did they not get it? But this isn't a translating job, like going from the original languages over uh, to, uh, to a new language or something like that. That's just a whole different thing altogether. So if, if that's the case, if, he's, if he says he handed them a New Testament when he was out of there years before they were ever given a New Testament, why would I believe his visions if I can't believe his claims about his training and his past? The and, guy's not honest about his past. Why would I think he's being, telling the truth about these visions he's saying? I think he's deceiving people. Yeah. I, I think the bottom line is I don't believe his visions. He might believe them. I have met people who make up a lie and then they tell it enough where they believe it's true. I've seen that plenty of times in my life, um, plenty of times. And so maybe he does believe these visions. I don't really care whether he believes them or not. I care whether they're true or not. Like that's, that's my concern. That's a good point too, because to say that, to go as far as to say, yeah, you believe that he's, I believe it as well, that he's not being honest, that there's a sense of maybe he's trying to get, I don't know, credentials. I'm not sure exactly what his motivation would be. For all I know, the guy wants, if I had to guess, I'd just be like, yeah, maybe the guy really wants his life to be important. He wants his life to be monumental. <clears throat> and, you know, he was doing pastoral ministry and he ended up resigning from his pastorate for some reason. He was telling this story uh, about how he resigned from his pastorate for whatever reason. I don't know. And then there he is. He's floating. He's like, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? Where's the importance of my life? Where's the, where's the powerful meaning and reason for my existence? And he goes back and he's like, well, what if I came up with a new translation of the Bible? You know? and, and then he starts leveraging. And, and, and at first he's preaching in really like signs and wonders churches. So he, so he talks about visions, talks about stories, talks about how he's, he's going to ignite their passion for God. and It's going to change. Their, and then he realizes he can market this translation worldwide. And so he shifts and he's like, well, I have training with the new tribe's mission. And it's no longer about the visions. He's now trying to, you know, make it more respectable, make the translation more respectable. So when I see him being, uh, doing a, a lecture in a signs and wonders type church, he's all about these signs and wonders, these experience. When he's on Sid Roth, he tells about this vision from heaven. Yeah. But then when he's on his website and you're looking at the, the, the FAQ page, like, why should I believe that this passion translation is good? He's like, well, I had training with the new tribes and doesn't mention anything about visions or angels named passion. Um, none of that stuff. So I think he's giving a story to the audience, you know, this story to this audience, that story to that audience. And he's trying to just market a product, but I could be wrong about all this. I could, what if I'm wrong about everything I just said about my theories about what, what's going on in his head? It's irrelevant. 
look, the guy's, the guy's not honest about his past. He claims to have visions. We have, we have good reason to not think he's telling the truth about them. His translation is not uh, scholarly good and it's sectarian, and it clearly adds tons of stuff to the Bible that's not really there. Let, let's pretend for a second that he actually did have a legitimate vision, because that's, that's his actual, the real credentials he's using mm-hmm. to tell people, hey, you need to trust this because this comes from God. Yeah. Which, by the way, and I'm going to say this, and this might be very upsetting to some people, but I started off in ministry studying cults. And one of the things that you notice is they're all the same. They have all the same uh, patterns. And one of the, the, the things that they do is uh, there's mind control tactics, which is, it's very interesting to research this. It's disturbing, mm-hmm. but yeah. it's interesting. But one of them is that, hey, I heard from God. So you need to believe what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. I, I have special power, a special revelation from God. So what I'm saying holds more weight than what you see in that dusty book on the shelf. So that's, I see the leverage that he's pulling is that he has special revelation and he's using these visions when these are intense visions, by the way, I mean, he has been very open about his experience, uh, his claimed experience of how he has received messages directly from Jesus on how the, the, the passion translation should be translated. And let's pretend that they're real for a second, that this actually did happen. What's wrong with that? Um, so in Deuteronomy, God tells us like, Hey, if, uh, if, if a, um, prophet comes to you mm-hmm. and he, he says he has a vision or whatever, and then, and then he tells you about it. And the thing even comes to pass, it comes to pass, but He's, he's giving you, he's telling you, let's go after other gods. Yes. And he starts, in other words, he, he starts going against what God has already revealed. Mm-hmm. Don't listen to him. That's interesting, isn't it? It's very interesting. Visions aren't only coming from God, right? What, what does the scripture mean when it says that Satan disguises himself as an angel of light? Well, wait a minute. If he wasn't interacting with people in any fashion, why would he be disguising himself as anything? And when he disguises himself as the angel of light, in other words, he's saying, like Satan doesn't come along and promote Satanism generally. Right? <laughs> generally speaking, he's going to promote a um, an alternate good religion, mm-hmm. like a, a nice religion. Dress it up, make it look as Christian as possible, but gutted of 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 true Christianity. Right? It's 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 a Pharisaical thing. It's it's whitewashed tombs, mm-hmm. really good looking on the outside, inwardly full of dead men's bones. That that's what he's going to present. And so for that, I would say, yeah, like if you had an actual vision like a real vision, like a spiritual experience, then I would just think it wasn't from the Lord because the vision's causing you to alter God's word. It's causing you to push weird theology onto the text of scripture that's not there. It's resulting in you saying things like, I don't know how else to take that claim about everything that can be said about Jesus can be said about me. Mm. I deserve worship. Mm. Is that, can you say that about me? No. I, am, I am the Lord of the living and the dead. I am the judge of all. Like, what? You can't say these things about me. That's not true. And has not, he recanted that or has he followed up on that statement or anything I, I, like that? No. And, and the thing is, the statement came, uh, I wanted more context. I wanted to hear that statement in context, but it came on his Facebook page in a video that was like one minute long. Hmm. So he just makes all those claims and then the video ends. So you don't have a chance to go like, you're going to clarify that? You know? I don't know what they call this. I forget the word, but it's, it's like you start with a premise and then you start bubbling out all of these things that are linked to this idea. It's evidence basically that you're gathering about this idea. And what we see in the hyper charismatic community is this emphasis on man and this lower, uh, this demotion of God and an elevation of man, Mm -hmm. because the more like Jesus we are, the more we can do the things he did. Yeah. And that's what I'm seeing is that he's trying to, to equate. And that, that's not just Brian Simmons thing. That's the thing that we're seeing across this movement is that yeah. they're wanting to, to, to make man equal to Jesus, equal to God. That may be, you know, I, and I wonder, I don't know how much that's happening because I feel like it's, there's an element of that that's there, but I feel like a lot of, I think a lot of sincere people are part of the hyper charismatic movement. I Me really, too. really do. Yeah. I think they're genuinely saved. I think they're seeking the Lord. I think that they're confused because of the, the teaching they're giving is sloppy. If mm-hmm. nothing else, it's just sloppy on, on issues of spiritual things. But I, what I do so, see is this, 
I see in, in these movements, the hyper charismatic stuff, uh, I think that there is such a desire to mobilize the people of God, mm-hmm. such a desire to get you out there doing things, get you out there doing whether it's, whether it's spiritual gifts or healings or speaking in tongues or, or performing miracles or preaching the gospel. Um, I want to just mobilize the church of God. And so what can happen is, is good theology can be sacrificed on the altar of good pep talks, right? Like, yeah. like, okay, careful theology. I wouldn't be able to say what I'm about to say about you. But if I say this, you'll be like, yeah, and you'll get out there and you'll go do something for God. Yeah. And so they kind of sacrifice good theology on the altar of the pep talk. Um, and so I hear that all the time. That's where, that's what I hear happening. Everything can be said about Jesus can be said about you. And it's like giving you, if you believe that you're like, man, I got so much confidence. I feel so good about myself right now. Yeah, but it's not true. Like it's not actually true. And so truth can, can fall to the wayside under the agenda of mobilizing people. Yeah. Um, and, and then they have to deal with the fallout because when you mobilize people thinking that they can all perform miracles all the time, you have to deal with the fact that it's not happening. So you start to have like, to have more theology that's to come in and explain away why healings aren't always happening. Like, like we are telling you it's always going to happen. Then you go out, it doesn't. So then you come back and we're going to tell you it is always going to happen, but we got to find a way to spin this. It's like, it's just weird. We, they, you know, in church, they're given all these high spiritual mobilization tactics in the real world. It doesn't pan out. Mm-hmm. So they have to come back and they have to get reinvigorated, yeah. right? re-stirred up again, and then sent back out again. And then they have to constantly deal with the fact, it seems to me, that God doesn't always want to heal everybody on the spot. Um, that, uh, that many times when you're praying for healing for somebody, the, the answer is going to be no, because God has a plan. God has an agenda. He's sovereign. And uh, ultimately, God will destroy death and sickness and cancer and all that stuff. But that's ultimately not, not right now. Um, now we're just getting a sample of those things, you know, we talked about that in our last video too, um, Mm. for the scriptures that you went over. We did talk a a little bit more about that too. So if you guys want to check that out, I will have a link to that as well, because we go into a lot more detail about that. Mike, Mike breaks it down really well about healing and the scriptures that are used for that. And, um, so before Mike, you're talking about scholarly credentials, before we got on, you mentioned a few scholars that did have some stuff to say about yeah. the Passion Translation, like legit, mm. legit scholars that, you know, they, they know their stuff, they know the Bible, they, they know the language. Um, what, what do they have to say about this? Okay, uh, I'll, give you, I'll give you two. And the reason why I did this was I, I realized that I was, as I was looking at who endorsed the Passion, tra- passion Translation, it was all mm-hmm. pastors, um, leaders, but not necessarily scholars. They're all charismatic pastors, correct? Um, I think so. As yeah. far as I know, they are. Um, but but I was just curious, like, where can I find more scholars who've really looked into this in detail? Because a lot of it's just passing under the radar for most guys. They're just not paying attention to it. Um, well, Michael Heiser, who you've had on your channel several times, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and great guy. He's really good at popularizing scholarly material. He makes it accessible to us, you know. Um, but he, he's got his, his MA and his PhD in Hebrew Semitic languages. Okay, so qualified, is what I'm saying. Um, <laughs> He says this about the passion. He says, I don't follow the NAR, the New Apostolic Reformation, nor do I think its distinctive teachings are scriptural, but lots of movements have those sorts of problems. So he's being gracious. Okay, lots of movements have issues. Then he goes on and says, but not all movements produce their own translation of the Bible to prop up their teachings. That's the issue that he has. He sees the passion as this is your translation of the Bible to prop up your weird teachings. And I think I've demonstrated here some examples of where that's the case. I'll give you one other scholar, uh, Andrew Sheed. Andrew Sheed is the head of the Old Testament and Hebrew at Moore Theological College, Sydney. And he's a member of the NIV Committee on Bible Translation. That's that, in other words, the guy's qualified, he's recognized, he's respected. He can speak to a translation in a way better than I can, right? He wrote a whole thing um, on this topic. On the, uh, it's on the Gospel Coalition uh, website. It's called Burning Scripture with a Passion, a review of the Psalms Passion Translation. This was when when just the Psalms was out. And here's what he says. Brian Simmons has made a new translation of the Psalms, and now the whole New Testament, which aims to reintroduce the passion and fire of the Bible to the English reader, in quotes. He achieves this by abandoning all interest in textual accuracy, playing fast and loose with the original languages, and inserting so much new material into the text that it is at least 50% longer than the original. The result 
is a strongly sectarian translation that no longer counts as scripture by masquerading as a Bible, it threatens to bind entire churches in thrall to a false God. That's pretty well said. <laughs> uh, wow. Yeah. He has a whole article on it. That's the abstract. That's his summary. The, the bottom line is the Passion Translation. It, it, no, no Christian bookstore should have it. It's, mm-hmm. it's on, it's, no, it shouldn't be alongside other Bible translations like it's a translation. The word, I literally just call it a translation because that's the name of the book, right? It's yeah. not really a translation. No. It's, it's an adulteration of the text of Scripture. It that's changes, putting it nicely. Yeah. It changes the Bible more than the, the Jehovah's Witnesses do with their New World Translation. Um, I mean, okay, so the New World Translation was literally made to prop up Jehovah's Witness false teaching about about the deity of Christ in particular and some other things. Well, it's generally an okay translation. Like in most places, it's just like a clumsy wooden translation. Like it wasn't done with much skill, but it tends to accurately communicate words. Mm -hmm. Except in those occasional places where the deity of Christ comes up, then they change the translation. That's what the New World Translation does. So occasionally, it's totally heretical, right? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and, and a lot of the time it's just wooden and a little clumsy, but okay, whatever. It's not, it's not heretical in most cases. Mm-hmm. The Passion Translation, it, it doesn't leave a verse unchanged practically. I mean, I, I'm sure it does in some cases, but it, it just constantly changes verses. It's changed way more of the text of scripture than even the Watchtower did with their New World Translation. It constantly changes scripture. And it may not be on the deity of Christ exactly. And that's why it slides under the radar. People go look at the deity of Christ verses and they go, oh, these are okay still. These are still okay. And they are. Yeah. Okay. But that doesn't mean he doesn't have other agendas that he's pushing. And those yes. agendas concern me. Uh, if you love God's word, you should not love the Passion Translation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that that's what does fall under the radar is that I think a lot of pastors especially think that it's, it, it's, an, it's just so extra. It, it's too much. It's exaggerated beyond. Yeah. That's a nice way of putting it. But I think a lot of pastors in general don't really understand the origins of this translation. And I, I live in New Mexico and somebody messaged me a while ago saying that there was a, there was a pastor here in Albuquerque using the passion translation. And I'm like, no, don't mm. stop. You know, yeah. I actually wanted to go uh, visit the church just to see, you know, if this was happening. And it's really difficult whenever you see otherwise sound churches, yeah. evangelical churches using a, a translation like this without really understanding that it's basically, if what yeah. he's saying is true, it's a channeled Bible. Like he's basically saying, I'm getting these visions from Jesus, these yeah. uh, messages from this spirit, <laughs> so to speak. We believe this. the Bible was, was written under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Okay. But he's saying he translated it under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, which ends up being he rewrote it. Yeah. Now, if it was inspired originally, that doesn't make any sense. If it was um, inspired originally, then it would be exactly the same as it is today. Like why? Yeah, I mean, if, if God inspired it originally, why would, why would there be a need to have an inspiration to rewrite it? Exactly. Like if, imagine if God gave you a message and he told you exactly how to say it. He's like, Melissa, I'm going to give you this message. You're going to say it exactly like this. This is my word to people. I want you to know it. And you, you share it word for word exactly. And 2000 years later, Somebody comes up and they go, I'm going to translate Melissa's message into a new language. It was from the Lord. I want more, but I'm going to make it 50% longer and I'm going to make it more passionate. <laughs> Look, if you believe in inspiration, you, you yeah. shouldn't believe in the passion translation. You know, pastors uh, who may be watching this, who are, they're like, Mike, you stop sweating me. You know, I got so many things to worry about in my life. And I just think the passion translation sounds good. And I think people respond to it. And I just want to say, man, you have a responsibility to communicate God's word. Um, you're accountable. Read James three. You you are accountable on these issues, and you know without even knowing Greek or Hebrew, you know he's changing the Bible because just read any two verses, right? Read any ch- two chapters in uh, in any other translation versus the Passion, and you'll see how much is being added and changed. Um, and just that alone should be enough for a pastor to know not to use this stuff uh, when he's teaching. The other thing that it reminds me of is Joseph Smith's translation. Mm-hmm. of the Bible. I'm, I, I'm not sure if too many people know this, but Joseph Smith did make his own translation of the Bible. Yeah. And he claimed that he got exactly the same thing that Brian Simmons did, is that he got special revelation from God about the language. Yep. And what's interesting is that most Mormons will not 
talk about this translation because it's wacky. Like it's absolutely, I mean, even they knew better than to endorse this translation because it was so yeah. out there. And so I, I see these, these parallels. And that's the other thing I kind of wanted to, to springboard off of what you said before about, um, you know, like what if he actually is getting this information? It's the point is, is that it's contradicting what we do know about scripture and yeah. the, the overall common denominator that we see among false religions is they have their own Bible. They have their own translation and it contradicts what we see in scripture already. So this is just a taste guys. This is just the, the tip of the iceberg. I'm sure there's going to be more content as, as we talk about this more and as we give more information about this topic, I'm positive. There are going to be more people that are going to speak up about this. And hopefully yeah. I'm hoping honestly that Brian Simmons does reach out to you. I'm hoping that he reaches out to any of us and gives us, you know, a, a chance to talk to him about this because this is very troubling yeah. and it, you should not read the passion translation. You should not look at it like it's authoritative and you should avoid it at all costs. I would go as far as to say that it is closer to a channeled book than it is to scripture. <laughs> it's, it's not good. Um, Mike, is there anything else you wanted to add? Yeah, I'll just yeah. mention a few things real quick that yeah. I just like laundry list of stuff here. That, no, yeah, go for um, it. Uh, other areas where Brian's changing things, uh, he believes that the Bible's teaching on women needs to be updated. Uh, oh, yeah. That's my interpretation. So he reinterprets and retranslates Proverbs 31 because he wants to change texts that seem to imply things that he thinks it doesn't fit with his, his understanding of feminism. Um, he changes uh, the scripture when it talks about like wives and husbands and their relationship to each other. He just changes it. And I, I go through this in my videos, but you can't justify the changes he's making in the language. Yeah. He's just changing it. Um, his view of revelation is that it's allegorical. So he's going to translate it to make it look like allegory. Um, he just translated Isaiah. I, I'm very interested. To, I haven't even looked. You know, Isaiah, he, he probably really changes a lot of the prophetic stuff in Isaiah because he thinks that he's living in a particular, let's put it this way, his view of end times, he's going to push that onto the text of scripture. Basically, you're getting Brian Simmons theology crammed into a really flowery, unjustifiable translation. That's what you're getting. And you're getting it in lots and lots of places. So, you know, they're not in the places you'd expect because his theology is not what you'd expect. If you look at how the Bible was made and written and passed down to us, it's absolutely genius how God did this. Because he used dozens and dozens of different authors on purpose yeah. to make a unified narrative, mm -hmm. to make a unified book. Yeah. And it's almost like he didn't want one author to write the whole Bible because something, because this is what happens. And I mean, if you take a uh, Muhammad and you take the Quran, I mean, you, you, you take one author writing any spiritual book, you, you get this bias, you get this one person theology. So I mm -hmm. think that God, in his wisdom, in order to avoid that, made many authors for his book. I mean, you have different literary styles, but it's, it's him saying, I'm in control, you're not, you know? Mm -hmm. And then you have people like Brian Simmons who undo that. They, mm -hmm. they take it and then they, they undo all of that purposeful inspiration that God had, and then they make their own translation. Yeah, just to say again, we're we don't need to be paranoid about translations in general. Yeah. Um, the ESV, the New King James Version, the King James Version, the the, the ISV, the NIV, the NASB. Go for it. Go for it. Look at them. Consult various translations. Check them out. This is not, you know, we're not like those who are like, find error and freak out. Like that's not like the agenda and the goal yeah. here. I went into the Passion Translation not knowing what I was going to find. I come out now with very strong terms. I mean, I'm saying the guy's lying. And I'm just, and I'm just like, I did a lot of homework before I would make a claim like that. I, I do think we need to raise the red flags. And I think we need to get that thing out of our, out of our um, churches and out of our bookstores and off, off of our websites. And I don't think it should be any more accessible than the new world translation, except with like, it needs to come with a warning label, like a pack of cigarettes, right? <laughs> it needs to be like, hey, you can read this, but you better know there's a problem here. There's a problem here. And uh, the uninformed are more likely to. Uh, get it and not realize it. Yeah. 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 So you know what, Mike, thank you so much again for coming on. I, I know that you're a busy guy and coming on and talking to me about this and informing everybody. 
guys, don't read the passion translation. It's, it's not something we recommend. Uh, I'm hoping more pe- people make videos like this, that people write more articles, that people yeah. uh, say more stuff about this. We, we want to raise awareness. We about need to activate topic. people. We need to, yeah. We need and to impart activate. to them the, the, the revelation, the, the passion translation. We need to inform them of the uh, anti-anointing of this translation, yes. basically. But yeah, I want to thank you, Mike, for coming on. Thank you for going through all of that. Those were great notes and great research that you did. Um, I respect good research. And um, thanks again for doing that. Yeah, thanks for having me.